Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of DM Discussions, a podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my companion, Ben Baumhofer. Hello, Ryan. I am excited. You know, I'm excited every time we do this, when we have a guest, when we don't have a guest. Sometimes I make people think we have a guest by saying how excited I am. You might think we have one this week, but we actually don't. Or if you know, you actually looked at the title of the episode, you, you probably knew that anyway. But, but but we're talking about some pretty cool stuff. Yes. I mean, I think we usually do. So uh, let's just kick it off. Let's go right we're into sli- it. Slightly biased. Slightly biased. <laughs> so we had we had an absolutely amazing uh, episode uh, last episode. And if you haven't listened to it, uh, Dr. Enley Friedman she was amazing, mm-hmm. super interesting discussion. But uh, and it's it's a really good thing that we did not talk about OGL stuff really. Yes, last episode <laughs> because shortly thereafter, uh, lots of lots of stuff happened. We're not going to spend too much time on this because it's fairly self-explanatory um, in a lot of ways. But I wanted to go over just a little bit of it real fast in case you don't have the details or in case you're wondering or in case you just not hooked up to the news a lot and might be interesting. But we're going to take just a a few minutes to go over that. And then we're going to jump into our main topic, which I'm actually very excited to talk about. Definitely. So on January 27th, which is, you know, about a week, week and a half ago at this point, like literally like (laughs) right after uh, right after our other episode. It, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, cool. We're going to do this. We're going to put it out. We're going to see what happens. And, oh, we're instantly not up to date on the OGL stuff. But that's fine because that was the week or the episode before. So, yes. So that was a whew. Um, So basically, uh, as a lot of people know, and we, we talked about it, they had a survey going for the OGL and they were going to listen, take feedback and potentially do some iterative work to try and get something uh, that everyone is happy with. So on the 27th, they did their D&D Beyond post and they said, when you give us playback, uh, playtest feedback, we take it seriously. At that point, already more than 15,000 people had filled out the survey. 88% did not want to publish tabletop RPG content under their new proposed OGL. 90% would have to have changed some aspect of their business to accommodate it. 89% were dissatisfied with deauthorizing the original OGL, the one that's been in place for decades. Mm-hmm. 86% were dissatisfied with the virtual tabletop policy in the draft. And 62% liked the system reference document, that SRD, in the Creative Commons license. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's like, well, and this is Kyle Brink, executive producer, who's been kind of doing doing the rounds and kind of taking ownership of yeah, this thing. Kind of now, being the face of it, of it all. Which is good, which is very good. Uh, the live survey results were clear. You want 10A, you want irre- irrevocability, you like Creative Commons. The feedback is in such high volume and its direction is so plain that they're acting now. So they literally decided to just close down, <laughs> close down the feedback. <laughs> they're going to leave OGL 10A as in place as it is. And they're, this is the big one. 
they're making the entire 5.1 SRD available under a Creative Commons license. That's and phenomenal and just this, opens it up so much. It's, it's This is absolutely massive. And I, I didn't realize how massive it was until I did a little research into it. So basically, Creative Commons license makes the content freely available for any use. Wizards doesn't control that license and they can't alter or revoke it. It's completely open, irrevocable, um, and we don't have to trust them about that. It's just literally Creative Commons 4.0. And so that means that anything that's in that 5.1 system reference document, like 400 and some pages, and then they actually published it with this post, not a we're going to do this in the future. They literally published it with this post. That means any of the content in that names, spells, locations, whatever is available for use in anything you want to make. As long as you basically just have a little, a little piece of information that says, this is where this came from. Which is so great. Absolutely great. Huge deal. Huge, huge deal. This, this was a a massive win and far more than I think pretty much anybody thought would happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of people assumed there was going to be a lot of back and forth with this the survey thing, probably multiple rounds of feedback on how they would need to to do stuff. But no, they they literally just threw the entire 5e system reference document out fully open. Anyone can use this as content. So you technically don't even need the OGL anymore. Technically, you just make if you make any content that reference from the the system reference document. All you got to do is use the Creative Commons license now. Yeah. And this is a little different than DMs Guild. DMs Guild is still its own thing for if you want to use specific setting content or extra book content um, and publish your own homebrew stuff. The DMs Guild, it's its own separate thing and always has been. But if you're, especially for third-party companies who mainly just use the OGL, this is a really big deal. Yeah. And I mean, one of the great things too is that um, depending on you know how you want to publish something, if you're going to publish something, you can actually choose to do it under the OGL 1.0a or under the SRD. So you really have options and depending on what you want to pull from, where you want to pull from, how you want to do it and everything – it's very open and I absolutely love that they went in this direction. Um, I know that there's definitely people out there, conspiracy theorists or people who are just still looking at the company, you know, very negatively saying, Oh, well, you know, they are backing down. They're going to change it in the future. They're doing this and that, but by putting everything under the creative commons license and by not deregulating the OGL 1.0 a, they're not like, especially by putting it under the creative commons license. That's kind of it. That's where it is from now now on. This is, this is literally just a straight win. Mm -hmm. No, no strings attached. This is a straight win. This does not repair all instantly repair all the damage they did over the last several weeks. Like that is, that is a big thing. And people are right to still be distrustful and right to still not, want to jump back into it in a lot of ways 
what happened is in some ways kind of good because I think it's really, it's really good as a player to broaden your horizons and try other stuff. See what else is out there. It's not that 5e is bad. I love 5e. I will continue playing 5e. Mm -hmm. But it's also really good to play other systems. There's a ton of other amazing stuff out there that you can play. And a lot of this controversy over the past few weeks has brought a lot of those other third-party systems and such to the forefront, which is super cool. Um, So, but... In the end, this is a win. If they had just straight done this, this would have been trumpeted from the mountaintops. This would have been one of the biggest PR wins. Yeah, they would have saved face. Instead, it's a a huge apology concession that they had to basically had to do to stop the bleeding. Yeah, what it was, like the way I look at it, what it was is just a reminder that Wizards of the Coast is a company. They're not here looking out for you, the individual person. They're a company. Now, you and I have gone through a similar deal of, oh, the company that we thought was something that was great and and altruistic and everything. Well, they just started crapping the bed and there are horrible We've gone through that before with another company and mm-hmm. podcasts have ended because of stuff like that. Yes. Yes. So like when this started happening, I'm like, oh man, not again. Not again. But I mean, they veered in the right way for a course correction. I'm never going to be as trustworthy and as supportive as I was before. But you know what? They actually have a chance to win, you know, a lot of that good favor back. Yeah. By what they're and doing. now and now 5e is basically an immortal game mm-hmm. because because of what they did. And and unlike when, say, like a video game company totally lets you down and destroys one of your favorite games. 5e, they can't take that away from me. I have my stuff. I could never buy another 5e product and mm-hmm. probably run 5e for decades. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and be fine. <laughs> But the the really interesting thing about this that I really like is this is going to force them to sell us on their new version. They now that now that 5e is completely open and usable and they can anybody can make content using that Creative Commons license and the the full on SRD the new version that they put out is going to have to stand on its own merits. They are going to have to convince us to switch to it. And we still don't know exactly how backward compatible it'll be. We still don't know what the uh, OGL or the, or the SRD or any licensing scheme will work out for the new thing. But now they are, in essence, very much competing. They're they're for being forced to compete against themselves, mm-hmm. which exactly. I think is a is an absolutely <clears throat> massive win, because if they don't play their cards right, if they try to pull crappy stuff again, people will be like, okay, I'm just going to stick with five e. I'm going to stick with making five e. There's a massive millions upon millions of potential consumers who love and are playing five e. I don't need to switch to your new system. I don't need to, I don't need to go into that 
walled garden if that's the approach they wanted to take or something. I think this will force them to, in a lot of ways to rethink their business plan for the the one D and D edition um, update. And yeah. they they've kind of said it's it's where it's leaning more towards this is probably going to be like a five dot five type mm-hmm. thing. They're still they're still saying there's there's been a few interviews with Kyle Brink and I'll touch on those really quickly, but they're still saying this is going to be backwards compatible. And if that's the case, that makes it even more imperative that they offer good terms, because if the backward compatibility is actually a thing, you could just make content for the new thing with the creative commons srd mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's so it's a uh, this is a i think this is just a a massive win all around and i think this will force them to do better and be better for the next version that is coming yes um now one thing just to kind of throw out there obviously we haven't done a big deep dive into it um but there are certain aspects of of uh uh, some of the the extra books, like the anthology books, like uh, Xanathar's, Tasha, stuff like that, that's not actually included in the SRD. So like um, uh, Artificer, not part of the SRD, you're technically not allowed to do anything with that. But I mean, my hope is that they add it. Yeah, exactly. Like possibly, maybe sometime in the future, or, or uh, at least you know, publish a. Uh, some of the newer books or the 5.5 books maybe under the, the OGL or, or the new SRD and everything that will actually give us, you know, access to those and stuff. Um, like I said, n- we haven't done a whole deep dive, don't know anything. So just uh, make sure that you do take a look at the SRD. If you are planning on doing something to see what is actually available that you can uh, use um, just because there are still a, just a couple things that are restricted. Yeah. And in a, in a lot of ways, uh, I think, I think this will be, I think this will be just a really good thing going forward. And, uh, in some of the interviews, he's said that this whole situation has caused creative to be able to have a bigger seat at the table, which I don't know why they weren't at the table in the first place. That seems like a, a massive oversight. Uh, <laughs> but Apparently, they, this is causing them to have a much bigger voice and a much bigger seat at the table, which there is. Uh, there are so many amazing designers mm-hmm. and writers and editors, and artists, etc., that work in the D&D space, and none of them are, were, are or were in any way the cause of this, this, the entirety of this controversy. In fact, uh, most of them or all of them probably absolutely hated <laughs> what happened <laughs> exactly. these last last few weeks. But I'm really hoping that Wizards leadership will take this as a learning experience and involve those creative voices that actually, you know, know D&D and know the community and such mm-hmm. uh, and listen to them in the future. Exactly. So, so you know what? We're looking at uh, possible just good stuff in the future. Trying to bring everybody back into it. And uh, again, you know, you've or a lot of people have opened up their eyes to other systems as well. So overall, big win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> and I know we haven't talked about it at all yet, but 
now that everything's settling down uh and i it really sucks that this kind of got overshadowed by a lot of this stuff but they do have their brand new book keys from the golden vault which mm-hmm. is the high anthology that is coming out uh very soon i yeah. believe 17th is the official release date um and it is like i said it's a high anthology i think levels one through 11 or one through 13 or something something close to that but a bunch of different heists that are kind of agnostic in setting so that you can pick them up and plop them in to your current uh campaign game homebrew uh whatever and there's a huge list of extremely uh talented writers and editors and artists who have worked on this book and i really hate that a lot of their incredible work has gotten overshadowed (laughs) by this whole controversy. It's just extremely bad timing. None of it their fault. They all did amazing work. Uh, I'm very, very much looking forward to checking it out. D&D Beyond actually has one of them that you can grab for free, one of the uh, adventures that you can grab for free right now if you want to check it out and see what the book is about and if that's the kind of style you're looking for. So definitely check that out. Yep. Releases February 21st and uh, is 13 adventures uh, levels one through 11. So you were Thank you very for looking close. up the actual tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here uh, for. <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate you. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's turn our attention to our main topic. So what we're going to talk about tonight is turn ending effects as well as maximizing player turns. So this is, this is honestly a very hard topic to talk about. Uh, It's a very complicated topic. It's very complex. um, And we don't have all the answers on this one. And we don't have all the answers to this one. We we're, we're, we're kind of spitballing. We're still kind of looking uh, to some things in a lot of ways. So just let's, let's start with an overview. So D&D combat, the, you've got the <laughs> you've got the um, the old meme that uh, D&D where you can do hours of things in minutes and minutes of things in hours. <laughs> Very true. So like you can cross uh, cross continent in in minutes via uh Hand wavy them, but when you get into combat, boy, those those thirty seconds feel like four hours. <laughs> so, um, in in a lot of ways, this is this is very much specific to combat. This is when you're locked into that initiative order, locked into that time frame, and this is this is D and D specific. Uh, but a lot of this, uh, you know, will translate to other systems too. A lot of systems do use an, some sort of initiative, some sort of uh, back and forth between players and enemies. So as a player, I have a turn that I can do. And then normally, depending on the party size and how many enemies there are, I may be waiting 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes before I have a turn again. Mm-hmm. So as a, well, as a player, but as a DM as well i want to maximize the cool stuff that my players can do every turn they have and the players want that too they want 
their turn to be impactful. They want to do cool stuff. Um, in higher levels, this is a little easier to do because you have more stuff you can do in lower levels. And I think this is, and this is, I would say a D and D problem just kind of in general In lower levels, there's just not a lot of stuff that a character can do that in theory means combat will move a little faster. So that's, that's helpful, but it is true at low levels. Most characters just don't have a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it, it makes sense. You're a low level character. You're learning stuff. If this is the first time playing a certain class, that's good. You don't want to have every ability available to you right away. But Ryan, as you were saying, that means it's like, okay, well, my, my turn is going to be, I attack my one time. I don't have any bonus actions that I can do, but I have a reaction that I can maybe use if someone steps out of combat with me. So with that, when you're waiting and waiting for your turn, you just really want to be able to do it and and get there and, and, and just, you know, get your head in. And of course, everybody's under or has had those moments where it's like, okay, well, I swing and it's one I miss. And now I have to wait another 20 minutes. Yeah. Not very fun. No, no. So that's so that's the first part of this, right? I I feel like and this is this is a D&D specific thing, um, because I've really heard I've heard great things about like uh, Pathfinder 2E and their their three action economy stuff. Um, it's It's something I want to try out at some point. 5e kind of has this in some ways. You have an action, you have a bonus action, and you have a reaction. Those are three three things you can do on your turn or on someone else's turn in the in the form of a reaction, which is really cool because in a lot of ways, that should then keep you focused a little more on the combat when it's not your turn because you can potentially do something. The problem is, and this is a D&D 5e problem, in my opinion, D&D 5e criminally underuses bonus actions and reactions. Mm -hmm. Many, many classes have next to nothing that they can do with their bonus actions and even less so with reactions beyond attacks of opportunity which mostly qualify as this dude moved out of melee with me. I'm going to try and take a swing at him. Mm -hmm. Or if you get a specific feat, maybe I can cast a spell. Right. But otherwise, otherwise it's, it's not. So just veering off for like a tiny bit. If I were to give any like main feedback about like the new 5.5 one D and D build in class options for more bonus actions and more reactions that you can do because most of the time attacks of opportunity unless you're playing like a fighter or a barbarian or someone like super melee are not going to keep you engaged enough to be watching for something heck there's not even that many spells that are bonus actions or reactions <clears throat> Like there really isn't. Yeah. The same with the just random abilities too. And the thing is a lot of those are written in such a way where you could just completely blow your reaction as well 
for example, like um, cunning words for a bard or shield for, a, you know, a caster. Um, you're supposed to declare and, and do that and everything before you know what the result is. So like personally for me, I'm not a fan of that. I never ever do that. I yeah. don't think I've ever played that. Technically that is the official way to play it. Yeah. But as I've written, never played that way. as written, you're not supposed to know what the result is. So that means that uh, the DM attacks Ryan. I use cutting words. I hope that what I roll like let's say it's a, a a d8 at the time that's what my my bardic inspiration is i roll my d8 i get an eight it turns out that we're still five points above your armor class because the you know the dm rolled super high you know and that, it would never would have worked in the first place yeah you know that's why like like first and foremost i when i dm i nullify that whole you've got to know what happens first that's one of the reasons why you know, I, I always say what the number is to hit and, and things like that. Even if it's like, you know, I, I try not to be a, a jerk about it when I'm like, it's a 35. Yeah. Does that hit? But well, and you don't. Uh, and and otherwise, even with that, if you played by the actual rules, you'd be constantly pausing combat. So I so I like. I roll to hit and then you look at your bard and wait to see if your bard does anything. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That, that slows down combat ridiculously. And it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Like I do not want my players wasting resources. If there is no hope of success. Exactly. Because that's just not fun. And it feels really bad as yeah. a player. And just like a uh, grave clerics, you know, uh, you can negate a critical hit. If you don't know, it's a critical hit. You're, potentially wasting that. I don't know how that's written though. That might be the DM has to declare it. I don't know, whatever. But the whole point is again, with shield, with things like that, you really want to be able to, to give your players the chance to use those things because you don't really get to very often, especially at higher levels of play. You know, we were talking about at lower levels, there's not a ton, but when you're getting these abilities at like, say level six to 10 or something like that, somewhere in there, the attacks are going to start like being higher and higher. So having an idea of it is definitely good. You know, as a monk, I think you have what, like a 18, 19 armor class or something like that, just because, you know, you're super decks and can dodge out of the way of things. Um, If, you know, you get hit with a 23, Hey, I know there's a good chance that I can negate this thing from happening. But if you get hit as at a 27, probably not going to happen. So, that knowledge is essential for different things like that. So help your players out. You want to have fun to let them do their abilities. I was in a campaign where uh, one of the players was a wizard. They took shield and our DM never told us what he rolled. So at that point it was essentially just a wasted spell because I, I, he never knew if it was going to be any chance that it's ever, ever going to hit or not. So yeah, never fun. Yeah. So how do you fix this? Well, like I said, one thing redesign classes, I th- uh, from a five B perspective, the monk is probably one of the best classes for being able to use bonus action stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, lot of cool bonus action stuff they can use from that. Um, They've even got uh, one or two cool reactions, like the the deflect missile mm-hmm. stuff. Which again, you have a monk DMs shoot them, use stuff that can shoot them, because they want to be able to snatch those things out of the air. Uh, 
It's a, it's a cool thing. So like that, that is cool. That is fairly well designed. Could there be another option or two? Yes, I think so. I think you could have another option or two without getting, getting too complex or too convoluted, but the same cannot be said for most classes. There are so many times when someone just doesn't have a bonus action they can use yeah. at all. Or like it's, it's, it's worthless. Look at something like, uh, again, as a bard, I can throw out bardic inspirations left and right for my bonus action, but I'm limited to, I think it's like my charisma modifier and I get them at a short rest, but there's no guarantee that there's always going to be a short rest. So you have to kind of pick and choose when it's going to happen. It's, it's, you know, the, it's the whole resident evil ammo conspiracy you know you you pick up magnum ammo the entire game and you only use that gun on the final boss because you never know when you're going to get more exactly and it's it's one of the it's and that's great it's a good start but it'd be nice if you had another one or two or three things yeah something else to do yeah so beyond redesigning classes to make better uses of reactions bonus action. one other thing too so there was a lot of confusion at my table about spell casting and actions and bonus actions and i i think a lot of it had to do with like um specific you know well let's just say critical role like uh, double casting rules that they have and things like that it's like okay it has to be level two or lower and then the other can be a cantrip or, or this and that and everything from what i've looked up and everything the official ruling on that is if it's an action, you can cast it. If it's a bonus action, you can cast that too. Let your players play like that, especially clerics who might need to heal and throw out something like a guiding bolt or something like that. It again, you're it, still using resources. Yeah, exactly. Cause you're using those spell slots up, but you're giving them the chance to actually play their character, how it's supposed to be played. Um, like I said, I don't know where the, the kind of like whole mindset of you can't cast two spells in a turn came from, but it's, you can. It's, if you cast a spell as an action, you can only cast a bonus action cantrip. No. Or I, it's, if you cast up. a spell as a bonus action, you can only cast a cantrip no. as your action. I've looked it up. It's specific, I believe, from, I want to say Jeremy Crawford. If you can, you can cast an action, you can cast a bonus action. There's no limit to the level. That's how I always play it anyways. Yeah. Should be anyway. But like I, I said, say, I don't I don't have I literally don't have the official thing. And I'm sure somebody will tweet at us or send us an email. And be like, well, on page uh, 375. Yeah. Or then you're and wrong. You want, <laughs> yeah. And if you or. want to do that, feel free, because we actually don't have the stuff up in front of us right now. But the way we, we are both agreeing on the way we play and the way we play is if you got a bonus action spell, you just use it. If you yeah. got an action spell, you just use it. And if you want to use both in the same turn, that's cool. Because you're still using resources. Exactly. Oh, it's whatever. Um, so anyways, so how do you fix it beyond redoing all, uh, entire classes and subclasses? One of the best ways you can fix this is via items. Now, there are several official items that do allow for bonus actions and reactions. Not a ton, but there are some. So depending on the books you have access to and whatnot, uh, be sure to take a look. Uh, if you use D&D Beyond a lot, there are easy ways to filter magic items in that type of search as well. But that is 
honestly, the main way to fix this issue that I found is giving your players items that allow them to do something as a bonus action that allow them to do something as a reaction. And that's something that I like to use and I will be trying to use more because it makes the game far more interesting and it makes player turns that again, as we said, are only every five, 10, 15, 20 minutes far more fulfilling because like I can do this and then this, and then I've got this in my back pocket. If somebody needs me to use my reaction for something. Exactly. Uh, by the way, I, I, I feel stupid now because I just looked up Jeremy Crawford's tweet that I was talking about. He does say two spells in one turn. One of them has to be a cantrip, whatever homebrew it. I was going to say, I, I, I thought, I thought that was the official thing was that if you cast any like regular leveled spell, the only other spell you could cast was a, was a cantrip. But I think that's silly. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's at my table. You can cast whatever you want, whenever you want. Same, same Z's. If as long as you got the resources for it. Yes. But no, I'm, I'm all for the idea of, you know, doing what you can, fulfilling your turn and, you know, throwing everything together. I love the fact that reactions are in the game, but I want to use it. They're just not used that much. Yeah. They're not used that much beyond attacks, attacks of opportunity. Yeah. Which for casters are basically worthless unless you take a specific feat (laughs) that allows you to use a spell. Yeah. Uh, Sentinel is very popular if you're a melee person because you can use your reaction when something within five feet of you attacks something else, which is handy. But again, it's still just I'm going to do an attack. Yeah. 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 And it's just it's, it's not something that. Yeah, it's not something that's just just there, which, again, why I think that the the core fix for this is is building this into to class stuff but i again i don't know if you found anything different but like i said i think i found that items are are the best way i found to make up for these shortcomings mm-hmm. yeah pretty and much getting getting those items whether they be official which there are some or just homebrewing them myself yeah and i that's something i need to do is do more bonus action homebrew stuff because Again, it, it just I, I played a multitude of class at a, classes at this point. And when you get to attack, you know, multiple times per turn, depending on your class, it's great because it's like, OK, I missed my first time. But guess what? I've got another chance I can do. And if you're a monk, I've got 50 other chances where I can still hit in one turn. So, yeah, I got to do some. Bonus oh, my gosh. I, I I don't know if something like this exists or not, but. It'd be super cool if someone, I, I don't know, DMs Guild or, or Drive Through RPG or, or release like a, a supplement that was only magic items that were reactions and bonus actions. That'd be cool. Like, here's a ton of magic items that only use reactions and bonus actions. I don't know. Maybe that's something like that exists. I just thought about that. I was just like, man, that would be a, I would buy that from the DMs Guild. Definitely. That would be such a, such a cool product to have because it would fulfill this niche that I, I I feel like is really lacking or missing, man, I'm going to have to, I might have to go look at that now, but if, if you're a, if you're a creator and it doesn't something like, at least I don't know about this off the top of my head, I will buy it. You make cool (laughs) supplement that is mostly magic items that use bonus actions and reactions. I will get it. Even better if they are mostly not attunement 
items. Because you want to be yeah. able to do that bonus action in reaction as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to be careful not to do too many non-attunement items because then it can be easy to forget them and mm-hmm. get get to be too overwhelming. But you want a good, you want a healthy balance. Yeah. You want a good, a good healthy balance. Exactly. So, yeah. If someone knows of something like that or someone is just like, Brian, that's a really good idea. I'm going to make that. Please tell me about it. Let us know. <laughs> I want to use it. <laughs> okay. So we we talked a little bit about maximizing turn times for your players. Now let's kind of shift over to status effects. These, these are the hard ones. These are the ones that I don't have all the answers for. As a DM, uh, or I let, let's start as a as a player. There is nothing worse than getting stunned, paralyzed, petrified. Though that's usually a little little less common. Yeah. Uh, charmed, and having a character whose saving throw for that particular thing is the absolute worst. Not to mention. I might even have something that's really good for that saving throw and the dice just hate me that yeah. session or just any time that that certain effect happens, the dice is just like, nope, you're not going to say. Yeah, I at one point I was uh, um, in a combat and I was stunned. Big mind flare fight. And uh, I think it's what what wisdom saving throw or something like that. Whatever. My wisdom is the worst. The only way that I could get out of this stun, which was a minute long, was a natural 20. Combat lasted for at least an hour, hour and a half, and I did not get a natural 20. It was one of the worst play sessions I have ever had. And I tried to have fun and tried to smile, tried to keep it going and stuff. And by all accounts, I was happy. But it, you're dead inside, de- completely dead inside. I, I mean, there's nothing I can do. Absolutely nothing to. It's just my turn. Nope. Like I literally could not make that saving throw to save my life. Yeah. And I think a lot of players probably have a similar story mm-hmm. to that. Um, it's it sucks. It sucks. It sucks to be complete to completely lose your turn especially for multiple turns in a row where all you do is roll a dice and say, crap, that sucks. Mm-hmm. And this is hard. This is hard. Um, and honestly, over on the other side as a DM, it's also not the funnest, no. especially if you're running like only one or two things. If the party just completely demolishes uh, a monster and stuns it mm-hmm. or banishes it. Or something like Banish that. Banish is the worst because of the, <sighs> hey, we've got a minute. Everybody will just stand right here and ready in action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it goes both ways. Yeah. It goes both ways. There's 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 stuff on both sides. For me, I like to, we, we need to make sure both having fun. The DM is a player too, right? We need to, we need to make sure both the DMs and the players are having fun. Yeah. That is to say, don't not use your abilities. That's a horrible grammar. You know, you need to do things that make sense, that that work in combat. And a lot of this comes from balance on both sides. The DMs, like 
if you have a party and they start banishing all the time, you know you need to start adding more monsters to the mix. If you have a couple characters who are able to CC, like someone can polymorph, someone can stun, um, and another person can banish, you need to have at least like five or six monsters. You know, they're not always going to happen. Yeah. On top on of the that, DM on the DM side, we have tools at the yeah. very least to be able to work within these yeah these limitations like legendary resistances and, and things like that as well exactly and while i know legendary resistances sometimes from a player perspective don't feel the best you're still at the same time you know you're burning resources mm-hmm. so it's not it's it's not like this did nothing it's no this burned one of its three very precious resources that will keep you from doing really bad things to it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that's, that's still, that's still a big deal. You're wearing so, down yeah, the you shield. Have to, exactly. So just from a, from a DM perspective, if you're running just one or two big things, make sure they have either some immunities or some legendary resistances or something like that. Especially if your party has a lot of those tools, mm-hmm. um, to, to keep combat interesting because sometimes it's fun for a group to come in and just wail on something and blow it up. But if that's what happens every single time, that's not fun for you. And honestly, that's really not fun for them. Either. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's good to have that. And like Ben said, uh, when you have monsters that don't have those legendary resistances and stuff, you want to run more than just one or two. You want to make sure that you have enough so that even if one gets taken out uh, for a round or two, that's good. That's a big leg up for them. That's awesome. But it's not going to completely ruin the fun or completely ruin your ability as a DM to do anything on a turn. Or on top of that too, use smarter uh, monsters as well. You know, if they know that the wizard banished one of their buddies, have them start attacking the wizard, trying to break that concentration. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, the, so there's several things you can do from a DM perspective. Yes. From a player, player perspective, perspective. <laughs> this is, this is, this is rough. This is where, this is where I struggle mm-hmm. because as a DM, I, I have shied away a lot from using abilities that like will take a player out for multiple turns. Um, a lot of times now, if I'm going to do something like a stun or a paralyze or something like that, I usually end up homebrewing it. So it only works for one turn and temporarily takes, takes that character out. If they, if they fail a save, mm-hmm. It doesn't do it multiple times in a row. So that's that's one way. That's that's one thing I've done just to to kind of help fix that. Just just for me, I'm I've been a player too. I know how much it sucks yeah. to lose multiple turns or an entire combat to some silly stun effect that I cannot do anything about and no one else from your party can do anything about either. And so as a DM, I've I've just started minimizing my use of those types of effect. I'm kind of in it with you as well. I've gotten to a point where, um, gosh, maybe, I don't know, within the last 10 to 15 sessions or something, I had a character who was stunned 
And it went on for a couple of rounds. And at that point, I'm just kind of like, I can't keep doing this. You know, it it's just not fun. I can tell it wasn't fun for them. It wasn't fun for me. And it wasn't fun for the whole party. So at that point, I had, you know, an, an outside effect kind of come in and, you know, strengthen their resolve. And they were able to break through their stun, you know, just as, as time came up, like I just kind of had that 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 frustration and pain and, 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 and urgency to, to do something and help by seeing their friends, uh, you know, get attacked while they're just standing there, like, you know, kind of, uh, bring their will up and bust through it and everything. It, it just made more sense to me than just punishing them and not put you know, letting them be in the fight. Um, on top of that too, it, one other thing that's, uh, I, I mean, we're going to get to, a, a kind of a couple of statuses and stuff, but one that I've completely turned my, my uh, thoughts around on is counterspell as a DM counterspell is a total jerk thing to do. And a lot of that comes from, again, casters only getting to cast a spell and then a cantrip, <laughs> which as we all know is the rules as written. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it, they're waiting their whole time to cast the spell, especially if it's a huge spell. Maybe they're only like six level spell slot. They're going to fire a disintegration beam at the dragon. Yeah, it's going to be great. And then as soon as that happens, just boom, counter spell right away. You totally took all the sails out of their or all the wind out of the sails. You kind of just negated their all entire the sails out of the wind. Yes, exactly. It's a bigger effect than that. And I'm not a big fan of that anymore. I, you know. Early on in my DMing, I'm like, yeah, it's a wizard. They're going to have counterspell. It makes sense. And I still build all of my my you know big, big evil casters and stuff. They have it. But I use it incredibly sparingly because it's not fun. Do I encourage my players to have counterspell? Totally. Because you know what? The stuff that I'm going to be throwing at you, I'm trying to kill you you should totally be able to, to, to negate that or, or at least try, you know, if you have the, the, the ranks in it or, or whatever like that. But yeah, I just, I, I've, I've, I've turned my thinking on that. Um, unless it's, it is like a, one of the, the final bosses or a big, bad evil guy that they've been hunting for a while or something. I'm not going to use it on them. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. Uh, in general, I, I very much limit, counterspell usage on NPCs. Uh, not that I will not use it. Not that it doesn't exist. Especially for uh, a revivify. <laughs> Oof, that's just nasty. Um, <laughs> no, that's just yeah. evil is what that is. That is, that is very evil. Um, but yeah, it's that's that's something, that's another thing that as a DM, I, I use sparingly. Because again, players just get at one turn. Like if if more players had actions, bonus actions and reactions they can do, maybe I would use it a little more because that's just one reaction one time from a single NPC. Now, if you got a bunch of wizards with a bunch of counter spells, that's a completely different story. Oh yeah. But if then, it's that just counter spell everybody all over the place, yeah. that's fine. But if it's, if it's just one caster NPC, who's got it, that's, that's not necessarily the end of the world. That's not the worst thing. And it can be, it can be kind of clutch for the, the bad guys and create drama mm -hmm. and drama is, is interesting and drama is fun. Uh, and drama gives you something to react to. Yeah. But just to uh, do it, to be a jerk. No. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a very good example. And then the, 
the other big one is charmed or a charm type effect. This varies based on the player you charm, though. It does. <laughs> like, this is another. This is another. This is another hard one. Um, it is definitely of a, a, an effect that I have used and will continue to use. It's not something I will use a ton, um, but I think it can create interesting situations. Now, from a charm perspective, I will never play their character for them. Yes, same here. I think that's one of the uh, one of the absolute worst things you can do as a DM is when you do a charm or something, you just start playing their character. That is not fun in any way, shape, or form for the player. What I normally do when a player is charmed is I will give directive and then let the player figure out how they want to go about doing that. So even though they might have to attack their friends or even though they might not be attacking the bad guys, they are still have a semblance of control Mm -hmm. over their actions and what they're doing. Yeah. And how you word it matters, too. Um, You know, you take more agency away, the more specific that you are. You know, if you say attack him with an axe, that's. No, we're not doing that. Um, attack them. That's it's better. But in in theory, it's still taking a lot of agency away. Now, if you do something along the lines of uh, you're charmed by, again, a bad guy, you say, protect me or stop them. You know, it's open to interpretation so that there's a lot of different ways and a lot of different things that they can actually do. If they're just protecting, maybe they're just trying to get in the way of of. Uh, um, you know, any attacks that go towards the bad guy. If they're stopping maybe they them, start throwing support spells. Yeah. If they're stopping them, maybe they're trying to just grapple them or, or get down. I mean, it's up to the player. Maybe they feel the way that I can stop them is to attack them. Maybe I, I need to, you know, it, it gives them that option of kind of going in there. And, you know, basically the, the whole point of it is to take their action out of the whole economy. And that's what you're doing in that instance. Yeah. And it's it, this is it just as from a player perspective, this is a, a very good role play moment, too, because you can do a lot with that, depending on the type of character you're playing mm-hmm. and what your personality is and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I very much am a proponent of leaning more towards the player in those charmed types of situations than I am of dictating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, way back when, long time ago, um, one of my players who was still very new to D&D uh, got charmed. And this is someone who relied heavily on Magic Missile. Like, that's what they cast a whole bunch. Um, and then as soon as they got charmed and they were going to attack, you know, one of the party members, they ended up, you know, walking up to him and pulling out a knife. It's like, I get that. I know that you're trying not to, you know, hurt your friends and everything, but would your character really do this in this situation? We kind of started talking about RPing of it and, you know, kind of what charm was and, you know, kind of breaking down the whole thing on it. 
And it was, you know, kind of a learning uh, experience for everybody at the table to just kind of see, you know, what was not exactly expected, but, you know, kind of what the whole thing over encompassing meant. And from there, we've been able to kind of have some of those good RP moments um, when that same character was charmed again by a vampire in this case. And they just kind of like, oh, no, you know, these people are cool. They're fine. You know, as, as opposed to just straight out, you know, attacking friends or, or doing something different or, or whatever, you know, and one of the other characters was able to kind of do an inside check and see that they were acting really weird and, you know, kind of got out of the situation and it, it gave a really good play to the whole thing. And on top of that was completely successful from a DM's point of view, because, it got everybody out of that house and they were able to fortify it before the heroes came back to, to actually attack. And it, it added so much more because we were able to have that, you know, like kind of good overview talk, you know, many sessions before that. And, you know, something like that made it a lot more fun. Um, I haven't charred my players a whole ton, but I'm confident in knowing that, you know, the next time that happens, you know, something fun is going to come out of it. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a wonderful example of of a way that type of effect can be turned into a very, again, drama, a very interesting uh, piece of role play, a very interesting thing uh, that your party is doing and that the player is then working in tandem with you to make something interesting and cool happen. Yes. So you might say, Ben, Ryan, I want to use these things like some of the bad guys I use have these abilities and I want to be able to use them or my goodness, like take off the kid gloves. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like you and, might think that. And, and I would say, OK, uh, that very well may be more applicable to the style of game you are playing. Mm -hmm. There are multiple different styles of games or multiple different styles of DMS and players. And some people like being able to play with that sort of thing. Yeah. There are plenty of games out there where, you know, it's a requirement to have three characters made. So when the first one dies, you're set to go with your second one, not saying yeah. that this is the exact same thing, but there are definitely, you know, play by as written rules out there. Um, and as long as everybody's kind of agreeing that that's what everybody wants to play, go for it, play that game because there are people out there who want the challenge, who want that. And, uh, they'll be okay. Just sitting there. Oh, I'm stunned. This sucks. Ha ha ha. I'm having fun. Yeah. Uh, so what are, what are some options? What are some alternatives if you want that style of play, but still want to allow the the player freedom, the maximizing of turns and such. This is, this is where it's, it, it gets hard. Um, I've, and most of the solutions are going to be humber. Uh, I can share one of the solutions that I use sometimes for, for turn ending effects and such. And this, and this is cool because it doesn't only apply to players. It also applies to the monsters mm -hmm. and the NPCs as well. Um, is a breakout damage system. So essentially, let's uh, give an example. Let's say that my monster hit the player. There's a stun component. They failed their saving throw. 
and now they're stunned. They have the option then, rules is written, of uh, waiting till their next turn. And at their next turn, they would basically roll a saving throw, a con save. And if they failed it, that would be it. That would be, they would just move on, and then the next turn they can do it again. Um, so one of the things that I have done before and have homebrewed before is breakout damage. So basically what this system is, is it's kind of a scaling psychic damage system based on the strength of the effect that is causing the player to be unable to act either of their own will or through some sort of stun or paralysis where basically the player can in game, their character can decide to try and power through and break that effect at the beginning of their turn. So that way they still have a turn they can use, but they also have the option of not doing it because if they don't want to take the psychic damage to break out, they can not and just continue to try to save as normal. But it is their choice, which I think is extremely important because I, I love giving players choice in the matter. Um, and potentially you could even ramp that. So the more turns they were stunned before they decided to do a breakout or they're stunned for a turn or two and they're going, oh, I, I, my character's not good at this. I'm just not going to make this. I'm going to go ahead and break out. From a damage perspective, it ramps down. The longer you've been stunned or the longer you've been incapacitated of whatever the effect is, the easier it is to do the breakout and the less damage you take. But essentially what that is, is it's just a psychic damage that you roll based on the relative strength of the effect. So it's the, uh, the stranger things, the like hard concentration mm -hmm. where you see the nosebleed start or the, the blood running down the <laughs> ears or whatever you, you focus, you concentrate, you burst through with your, with effort. And you remove that effect from your character, but you also take X amount of damage. And then it's up to the player whether they want to do that or not. And that's one of the best ways I've found if you want to, especially if you don't want to homebrew a lot of stuff from a monster perspective um, and don't want to like remove a bunch of things because it's a lot of work or you just want to use the effects that there are, this off that particular homebrew offers a great alternative to being able to still use those effects, but then give the players an option to get out if they want to, and then they can weigh the pros and cons and the consequences of potentially taking that chunk of psychic damage to themselves to be able to get out and go again. So from hearing that, I came up with an entirely new homebrew, different thing just off the top of my head. I have not worked out any of it yet, <clears throat> but um, I'm going to look at it in a different sort of Stranger Things way. I'm going to call it running up that hill. And <laughs> I'm thinking of, okay, they're stunned and they're trying to fight through it. So 
as opposed to taking the damage, you have them attack, you know, arbitrary number or, or like, you know, whatever is the the shell holding them in the place or the 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 weird Vecna tendrils holding them to the wall or, you know, something along those lines. But it's all mental. So they describe to you, you know, whether they're going to use like constitution or wisdom or intelligence or something based on what it is. Like if it's a stun, um, you know, maybe it's like, uh, you know, snapping back into it using their constitution um, or, you know, becoming aware again using their wisdom or something. Um, if it's like a charm, maybe they're using the charisma modifier or something, you know, kind of having them do some sort of attack roll on top of trying to roll to save you know, kind of giving them both options there. Um, I haven't fully worked it out yet. Like I said, just kind of came to mind, but I like the idea of them being an active participant in trying to break free. Um, in, you know, singing Katie Bush the whole time too. Um, it's, that's part of it, but, um, yeah, maybe something along those lines. I don't know. Just made it up, but sounds kind of fun. I'll have to try that soon and see if my players like it. Yeah, it's. I think it's the same sort of concept mm-hmm. as whenever you're at like a death saving throw. Yes. Instead of just rolling the death saving throw, you describe or have the player describe what they're seeing. Are they getting flashbacks? Is is something happening? Is there some otherworldly thing that's going on? Something to make it more interesting than just rolling, rolling a dice. It's that same sort of thing. There's there's certainly ways and and mechanics that are just built in, even if they're not official, to where the player, even if the you can't do a normal turn, you can still do something active and interesting. Mm-hmm. And hopefully move them towards the goal of not being charmed, stunned paralyzed, you know, restrained, whatever, whatever the the case may be beyond just the I fail to say I make a saving throw. And if I don't if I fail it, I'm just done. Yeah, there's all it's it's more about making sure that player is still included, still having fun and still working towards the goal of regaining the ability to do their normal stuff. I like it. I think it works. I'm sure there's other ways. If you have other ways, if you've dealt with any of this stuff we're talking about, if you have thoughts, we'd love to hear you. Tweet at us at Dean Discussions. Email us at DeanDiscussions at gmail.com. This is this this is this is a hard one. There's there's no necessarily right answer. And if for, you're in this one thing, and if you're in my party and listening, uh, let me know if you want to try the running up the hill next time we do stuns. I'll figure something out. <laughs> Got to like just workshop it. Yeah, exactly. Just You'll be my guinea pigs, yeah. and then I'll publish it. Yeah, <laughs> just along one with page the, on DM's Guild, along with the magic items that only use bonus actions and, and reactions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like. Yeah. It. Yeah. We'd love to. We'd love to hear stuff. But this is this is the topic we've been we've been considering talking about for quite for quite a while. Yeah, for quite a while because it's. It's something that we've both experienced, both as DMs and players. And it's we want to, as especially as DMs, we want to make sure everyone is having the most fun they can 
in the most flexible way while still, you know, mm-hmm. keeping the story interesting, being fair and whatnot. Uh, but this is this is certainly a thing that has caused many an issue uh, <laughs> at thing tables I've been at before. Um, and it's it's can be very unfun. So we wanted to make sure we covered this and kind of threw out some potential alternatives. To it. Exactly. I think we covered it, you know, decently well. And uh, like Ryan said, you know, if you have any ideas or uh, things that you do to try to, you know, kind of help out or bypass, let us know. All right. So moving on a little bit and kind of circle back to this, uh, this topic of other games um, beyond 5e. There's, there's two things we wanted to just touch on briefly. Mm -hmm. The first uh, and I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit. Um, Polygon had a really great article that came out uh, on the the sixth on how D and D's OGL controversy turbocharged the sales of virtually every every other tabletop RPG. Um, so the best person to get people to stop playing D and D and play other games was Wizards. Apparently, who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it was super interesting because. Um, just talking to a lot of the third party publishers, uh, Cobalt Press third party, uh, said its sales quadrupled in January. Goodman Games, um, uh, Paizo, Magpie Games, uh, a bunch of uh, different other like Call of Cthulhu, uh, sold through months of stock in. In just a few weeks, uh, Paizo sold through an eight month supply of their their Pathfinder rule books and stuff in in just a few weeks. Like it, it it's really in some ways it, it sucks that a lot of this happened, but it's really cool that for at least a little while. And hopefully, it, at least in some way ongoing too, other games, other systems, other ways of playing are getting the spotlight which is super cool because regardless of whether you play a bunch of different games or you only play uh, once or you've only played one single system before, it's never a bad idea to branch out to more Mm -hmm. because it can only give you better perspective and it may give you cool perspective or cool ideas to bring back into a main game you play. If it's, Pathfinder or D and D or call of Cthulhu or vampire something. It's just like, man, this mechanic was so good in this system. It doesn't exist in this other system, but I'm, I want to use it over here. Uh, There's, there's a lot of stuff like that uh, or different ways of role play, different ways of how combat or just mechanics in general work that can really help you appreciate some things or give you new ideas. So again, it's good branch out it's good to experiment it's good to try this other stuff and there's never been a better time like honestly just from a in history standpoint there's never been a a better time there are so many other really cool systems and such um and a lot of ways that leads into the second thing that uh so Emily spoke about this on the last episode. It wasn't out yet, but it has since come out. And it is uh, her article on the best actual play podcasts that don't use D&D. And so one of the best ways to learn something 
is to listen to or watch other people play it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there are a ton of very strong, very good, very well-produced podcasts and streams that play other systems. And so if you are thinking about trying another system out, um, there is most likely some sort of actual play for that. And this article doesn't have all of them, of course, but it lists a lot of, uh, of very good ones. Uh, some very big as well that use other systems. So we will be linking this in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. I highly recommend checking it out and seeing if anything you watch or listen to sparks some ideas. Yep. And Emily would know. She would definitely know. So, uh, Take every suggestion as uh, coming from the top of the field. Yep. This is uh, straight from the top. Exactly. <laughs> well, with that, I think that about wraps up our show for today. But of course, before we go, we usually talk a little bit about what we're doing in our own games. So, Ben. <laughs> at least last we heard you were gonna get to play oh we played get to play okay good yes we played good 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 good, good. how did it go um i thought it went pretty well um we you know we just finished our uh big you know find your your legendary item or art you know your artifact uh, sword from the paladin um they did their their christmas one-shot adventure came back into town and as I kind of walked out of the, uh, the, the library where the, the teleportation circle is and everything, they noticed that there's kind of a, a guard presence running towards this, you know, this high market, <clears throat> excuse me. So they went in there and uh, they kind of stopped at the, the info desk. It's essentially a mall because you know, why not? Um, so they stopped at the info desk and the person there saw our paladin and just went just ghost white and he was just terrified. So they split the party up. Some people kind of ran down towards the a, a store called the Buried Scroll, which is the magic shop. And it, that's the one that's uh, run by my awakened German shepherd dog. So uh, they're like, oh, no. What's going on with Herman? And uh, so they, they get there and there's uh, basically a wall of ice just still there. Except one section has been like cut through as the rest of it's kind of melting. And they go inside and they see him lying on his side with uh, his his like skin and hair on, on that one side. It's like kind of all burnt, but also covered with frost. And uh, mechanically speaking, he had one hit point left. And there were some guards in there. They came in, healed him up. He's doing much better now. Thank goodness. And they found out that someone came in looking like the paladin. Which is why the front desk person was freaking out when when he saw her. But Herman uh, said, you know, identified her as the correct one. Uh, He said, "Uh, you know, you were in here before, but I knew it wasn't you because you smelled different. So, you know. Dogs are awesome. So basically he had like I like how you use that. That's that's cool. Yeah. So uh, he had a magic duel with this this dark elf who turns out has gotten away from them twice so far. And it turns out she was wearing some sort of artifact armor. And she stole an item that he was working on 
Um, I, I, I created the, this. It, it sounds super cheesy because, of course, you have to call it something. But there's this ore that was found um, in this underground, uh, like, ruined dwarven city that they were in previously called Planium. So he was actually uh, crafting it and enchanting it into a tuning fork that you can use to travel to every plane. So you don't need a tuning fork from each individual plane. So she stole one of those from him and just, you know, teleported out once he was down on the ground. So they find out this, that this was going on. She grabbed that, said, now we can collect collect our own and left. And so they've kind of determined that, oh, there's people out there also collecting these artifacts just like they are. This can't be good. Um, on top of that, uh, my sorcerer had a dream produced in theory from uh, some sort of deity. And uh, it was basically her just kind of witnessing an action of um, this, this big wings, like evil looking demonic creature taking out a whole adventuring party. And then one elven woman just kind of standing up to it and, and finally casting it out and banishing it um, out of the material plane with like fire all over the place. Everybody else died and, and all this. And, so uh, she got instructions to find the woman who the voice seemed familiar. She only saw like the silhouette from behind and everything. She thinks she might know who it is, but she's not entirely sure. So uh, yeah. So they have a, uh, a, a, a ordained dream or ordained, I don't know, prophesized dream to uh, find this armor for the bard, which means that uh, based on all the follow-up stuff, they get to go to Isgard, which I'm super excited about. That's going to be fun. And uh, they need to find an elven woman to ask some questions. As well as another group out there searching for artifacts. See, that's that's the interesting part. The the potential. Ooh, is there is there an antagonist party? Maybe mm-hmm. out Possibly. there somewhere? Mm. But that's only some of what happened. Then they also went to the manor that belonged to the red dragon. And went through, looted the the place, got a whole bunch of different like you know magic items, um, and uh, so they they get up to his room. Some traps went off. Uh, they got into the vault. Then there's a little like small teleportation circle in the vault, and there's this whole huge section of the house that isn't really accounted for. Um, you know when you're kind of walking down the hall, there's like no door into this big huge area and stuff. So they step on that little pad teleported them into secondary vault with way more stuff and a little cobalt in there. So as they all kind of get in, they, they hear him kind of like going around and he's blowing into this horn and all of a sudden runes appeared around the room and they find out that again, it's another trap that uh, this little tiny black hole appeared and starts sucking out all the air from the room. Yeah. Uh, about two minutes to live. So then they had to figure out the pattern of, on like uh, where to hold down the runes to uh, deactivate the trap and everything. It was ah, absolutely fun, great. Fun. So, yeah. So they were able to do that. Cobalt stayed in there because, you know, he's doing what his master says. Um, good on them for not killing him, which is awesome. I, I'm always happy about that. And uh, so they, you know, kind of informed the guard what was going on. Uh, you know, King knows what's going on. He he actually gave them permission to go, you know, check out the house, take what they need, stuff like that. And so, yeah, we've uh, 
we, we had a little tiny, not a dungeon per se, but a, a, a ransacking of a red dragon's house. <laughs> Which, by the way, when, when the butler answered the door and then he found out that the red dragon was killed, he's like, out of here. <laughs> he, just, he just took off. See ya. Yeah. Peace. Just immediately he's like, he's dead. He's really dead. Okay, bye. Just boom, got out of there. So excellent. Yeah, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed having a lot of fun with that. And um, just the, you know, I, I don't do a lot of stuff with traps. I, I need to do more dungeony type stuff. And uh, so it's, you know, kind of fun doing things. I'm yeah. glad you just got to play. Yeah, me too. And uh, I'm I'm looking Sometimes forward to next time. Sometimes that's the half the battle. Yeah. Oh, man. Speaking of battles, when we go to Isgard, it's going to be interesting. I've got some plans. Really looking forward to it. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. I'm excited uh, to hear about it. Uh, what about you? I know that uh, are you uh, back up and running both campaigns again? Back up and running both campaigns. We had the uh, my my second campaign with the the big finish and restoring the heart Mm -hmm. and, and such. Uh, And so that was, that was really good. And the whole, um, uh, that campaign was really interesting because I was, I was kind of at a point where I was just like, okay, what is going to happen next? Because the, the entire campaign got really derailed when they attacked that super strong dude on the airship and mm-hmm. they all got basically tossed off the side and into the middle of nowhere with no stuff and the druid druid dead and <laughs> all all that sort of stuff so in a lot of ways that really derailed <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of the the direction and what we were doing and so now that the they had kind of uh, finished this off, they'd restored this natural magic to the continent. I was just kind of like, okay, where are we going to go from here? Because like, this could technically be an ending point. This could technically just be uh, all right, cool. We fixed this piece. We were, you know, let's let's get out of here type yeah. thing. So they ended up uh, after talking and being given some tools to to move around a little bit. They ended up going. You know, we're going to screw this, this, these people who are in charge, like in this political situation, uh, especially because they killed one of our friends and they dropped us off an airship that was thousands of feet in the air. <laughs> uh, so we're we're going politicking, baby. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's really exciting because there there's direction now. They've got some allies. They uh, they went to some of the gem dragons that they had met before uh, and asked for aid. Especially now that this natural magic has been restored, they are targeting. So this this continent is basically very protected. It's only got a north and south port town, and basically no one is let in. They they're very closed off system because of all the technology they have. No one. From the outside who trades with them these exotic things knows about any of the stuff that goes on because these are very facade like towns so the the party's plan right now is we're gonna take it we're gonna take that over we're gonna kick the owners out because Ooh. you kick them out they lose this super valuable port town that lots of money comes in and lots of resources come in for this and so now they're going to try and get help from their minor house ally that they had and haven't seen for a little while. 
And so we'll see what's up. So that's where they're they're heading right now. Very so cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of almost reinvigorated in a lot of ways for that campaign because it's, it's kind of got direction. It's got purpose. Yeah, it's taking um, new steps. Yeah, it's taking new steps. So I, I'm really happy with that. Very, very cool. I'm happy for yeah. you. Yeah. So that's that's been good. My other campaign, uh, they are they are in the city with evil grandma. Mm-hmm. They, uh, my my ranger is they're trying to contact her parents. Uh, really cool use of the dream spell uh, from our warlock allowed her to contact him while he was sleeping. So that was really cool. Got to do a little like reunion thing. That's cool. Uh, and then they are, they did pulled some shenanigans and were able to kind of contact mom as well. And they're trying to figure out what they're going to do because dad, that safety of dad is a priority, but they don't know if they can convince mom to move without him getting to safety. But if they go in and try and get him to safety, Will that ruin everything? Yeah. And we're it's 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 really cool because we're kind of almost playing in like a little mini sandbox area right now where there's lots of things that you could do. None of them are necessarily right or wrong. It's just decisions that they're going to have to make uh to when they decide to make the push forward. So well, that's it's, really it's neat. interesting. I'm I'm very excited for it. This has been building for a while, um, and we're we're coming up really to the climax of this thing, especially now that they've made contact with mom. So they're going to have to decide. We've only got a little bit of time. What are we going to ask her to do? What are our plans going to be? Are we going to try and break dad out? Are we going to try and mm-hmm. get mom to be on our side? Grandma's super strong. I don't know if we can defeat her. Uh, can we get mom's help to do that? So. It, it, it'll be really interesting. Uh, I'm very, I've been very excited for this, this piece for a long time. Well, very cool. I'm happy for you and good luck. Thank you. I will need it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you uh, got this. It's, it's one of those things I actually told my players at the beginning of last, I was like, okay, guys, we're kind of in a mini sandbox right now. Lots of stuff could happen. I try and prep as well as I can. Depending on what you do, if we need to take a little break or we need to pause while I set some stuff up, that's just how it's going to be. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to do that. Because you are not omnipotent. You do not. You are not able to prepare for every ridiculous scenario that your players throw at you. So if you need to take a pause sometime, be it to set something up or to just say that was really out of left field. I'm going to need to do some figuring out. We're going to have to end the session early. <laughs> yeah. It's or, okay. or even I know where you're going, but I want to make it better than what I have had the time to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. If you have to do that sometimes. Exactly. Well, uh, I think that's it yeah. for this episode. Awesome. So. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this is, the, like I said, this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a while. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad we were able to chat on that. I'm really glad the OGL story had a fairly happy ending. Me too. Uh, that, that is, that is very good. Uh, and makes me very happy as I do play D&D 5e a lot. Wait, so what? this is, this is a good thing. <laughs> uh, as I said, uh, 
If you have any comments or any insights or any suggestions for this, uh, the topics on this show or others, make sure you contact us. And Ben, why don't you tell everybody how they can do that? You bet. Uh, if you have a, a big old long list of things you want to tell us or, uh, you know, even just something short, but you want to send us through email, uh, go ahead and send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. It's the name of our show at Gmail. Hey, we made it easy for you and us, because honestly, if it was something weird, we wouldn't remember it or ever check it or anything like that. Uh, however, if there's something, uh, you know, a bit uh, short form, you know, maybe 280 characters or less, and you want to go ahead and share and let us know, send those to us on Twitter. We are at DN Discussions. If you're looking for Ryan specifically, you can find him. He is at TBK Zord. If you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. And don't forget our persistent campaign of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is continuing on plus five to hit. It is an actual play podcast. We play in it. We have fun with it. And uh, check it out because, hey, who knows if we actually saved a couple towns or not. There's ten of them. Um, yeah, we could probably lose some. Who knows? We lose a few. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Oh, it's okay. But uh, yeah, check that out. Um, other than that, though, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. If you like this episode of DN Discussions, and uh, especially if you didn't listen to the last episode, check it out. Um, every single episode that we have is on dndiscussions.com as well as on your favorite podcast player of choice. Uh, we haven't hit like 300 yet, so on iTunes, it'll be there. So, hey, check us out. Um, while you're there, wherever it is, though, go ahead and leave us a review. You know, it helps us out, helps spread the word, especially if it's like, you know, say five stars or however high it goes. If you like us that much, help us out. Uh, but other than that, though, Ryan, as always, it is been so much fun playing with you you're quite a charming person yourself and uh, oh, you. everybody so else are you oh well, thanks okay so whose turn and i don't uh i don't know who who tells each other what to do now we're both charming uh, anyways um until next time everybody be good to each other take care and we'll see you soon <laughs>